me 10 copies. You are an angel on earth. This is the last time, seriously. I know, thank you. Mm -hmm. No, 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 I got you. I'm gonna pay. Hey, I don't want you to pay. Somebody needs to take out this trash. So I hear you're moving out of John's place. That's the end of an era. We hear him um, sobbing in the fridge most mornings. It's very sad, actually. <laughs> no, 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 we are not talking about that. Wait, wait, Carolyn, you, you're coming next Friday, right? What's happening next Friday? The Superbio Workshop. Surprised he hasn't mentioned it. That sounds vaguely familiar. Guys, this is the biggest break I've ever had. This is that moment. It's the first time people are gonna see the show that aren't just us. Well, it's good that you're not putting too much pressure on it or anything. <laughs> no, but it's true, though. It's like you get to a certain age and you stop being a writer who waits tables and you become a waiter with a hobby. Everybody, welcome to Generation Loss, the show about movies with Bryn and Jeremy. And we are talking about movies again, but this time we're not taking ourselves that seriously. <laughs> 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 but also, I just want to differentiate this from the previous episodes where yeah. you know there's 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 an argument that could be made that, that sometimes things got a little little serious and i just want to be clear from here on out we're not taking ourselves too seriously (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you know i think it would i don't i don't think it was too serious no i would never say something like that there was a sense of seriousness and i think that some people might have misunderstood how serious we're being so i just want to be clear it wasn't that it wasn't too serious it wasn't too serious (laughs) um but uh this is the beginning of yet another uh, ill-advised theme month. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, in absolutely. Which I don't think we talked about this on the show at all we, that we were we doing this. Right, uh, but we've known about it for almost a full month that the month of May, which it is right now, Currently. as you're listening to this, um, will be <laughs> a musical month. And I'm assuming it's because we feel pretty and witty and gay absolutely uh, yes like they, like they say in west side story which we uh, won't be watching which is we're not watching we're not west watching side that don't story. get your hopes because, up for that because the thing about west side story is that it is at least a little good yes uh and and, and the theme of this month is not good musicals <laughs> the theme of this month is bad musicals <laughs> right specifically bad movie musicals yeah. that the the criteria of this had to be that they were a musical that was staged on Broadway mm-hmm. and then turned into a film that was in the theaters. Um, so it can't be some shitty, like ramshackle recording that people did off, you know, on it's, it's a movie, it's a Hollywood movie. Yeah. From- like Rocky Horror Picture Show, for example, wouldn't qualify for this because it was a movie first and then a play. It wasn't. It was a play first and then a movie. However, it was a very small non-Broadway play. Mm. Um, well, then we a, may have broken our own rules because I don't know that Tick, Tick, Boom ever got a big release. Yeah, it that's a good. that's a good point. They do kind How, of imply it at the end of the movie, at least. He got 
he got a Broadway release mm-hmm. finally. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom may have been staged on Broadway definitely before this movie, which just came out last year, I believe. Oh, that's true. They may have done it since he died. Yeah. That's um, true. But we didn't research this that carefully. But that's no. generally the theme. The point that of we're this doing... was to hurt ourselves. Is the, <laughs> the, is... the, yeah. And I'm not sure why we do this to ourselves, but that's, <laughs> we're watching movies that we are pretty sure we won't like um, this, this month. I, and I gotta I, tell you, so far... We are batting a thousand. <laughs> we sure are. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about what we watched other than that this week. And what what did you watch this week? Thank you for asking. You are so welcome, Jeremy. Well, first of all, uh, the uh, the FX original series Better Things, uh, which I've talked about several times on this Many times, on this yeah. show. Uh, is over. They had the finale, the series finale, the end of the show. R.I.P. Uh, was this past week, mm-hmm. and um, it was uh, it was weird and uh, floaty and uh, and non-committal in the way that the show has always been. So <laughs> very fun and enjoyable. Uh, started out with one of the most beautiful little tiny little chunks of film I've seen in a little while. Um, yeah. So the beginning of the episode is, it just cuts in on like, so So throughout the whole season, uh, the youngest daughter has been writing these poems and you're not really sure what they're for. She's just writing poems because she's mm-hmm. a teenager or whatever. And then this episode's kind of revealed, I guess, what it's been leading towards is this sort of like weird, like semi-musical, semi-spoken word uh, video art project where she's kind of doing like um uh you know like when you do the um the symmetrical camera on your MacBook or whatever and like yeah yeah uh like so she's doing this face. like really really super choreographed really crazy trippy sort of routine with one of her poems and like a little bit of music uh and you just are watching that straight faced like it's not even like you don't know what you're watching you're just seeing it and you're like this is crazy why is this happening right now <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and getting wilder and more fun and um and it's really beautiful and then the end of it is you know it's a uh, uh, Pamela Adlin behind the camera being like all right cut and she's like that was incredible so like everybody's like hugging and like i can't believe we pulled it off we did it this is amazing like and and, and it's really interesting because it's a show that's like so often really sad and so often really like intense, but Awkward it weird. really, really ended on a very positive sort of ending. Like it's sort of implied that maybe uh, Pamela Adlin's character might be dying, but also Why? not really like she like uh, she's like throughout the season, she keeps like referencing like her heart feeling really intense like she like gets winded all the time and then in the last episode she randomly gets her period again for the first time in like a decade because she went through menopause yeah and 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 so like it feels like the implication is like something's wrong with her uh and they end on um that's the always look on the bright side of life from Monty Python? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. And it's literally like everybody who's ever been on the show, basically, <laughs> like singing it uh, in different scenes. They kind of reveal almost that like the whole time they've been filming the show, basically they've been getting little footage for this final thing. 
which is kind of like a pretty pretty baller move to do i think that's crazy uh and yeah and then like the final shot is her like driving her car like off into nowhere basically uh and Mm -hmm. like she sees like shooting stars and a eclipse and aurora borealis all at the same time and like that's the end of the show what could that mean i kind of feel like it was her dying but i don't know uh but anyway great show really wonderful highly recommend watching it uh the other thing i watched this week sounds uh, emotionally very intense it is but it's also really beautiful uh and wait you've ever seen uh six feet under I have, but not the whole thing and not for a long, long time. Oh, boy, you got to watch the rest of that. Um, the other thing I watched this week uh, yeah. is uh, I, I've kind of like fallen into like uh, it, it's a it's a YouTube scene of um, really of of prison guys and gang guys. And they so uh-huh. they're. What do they do? <laughs> so I, I first found these guys from uh from the No Jumper podcast. Uh that dude, uh Adam twenty two or whatever, the guy who's like uh in trouble for rape now. Uh he I do not know what this means. What is Adam twenty two? What's No Jumper? No Jumper's a podcast about it's a guy who interviews like up up and coming like underground hip hop people like random oh, random okay. teenagers from the middle of nowhere with crazy face tattoos he'll like interview them and then you know maybe they become somebody maybe they don't but uh it's a really popular podcast it's got like four million subscribers or something like that uh and anyway he had this guy uh uh milk seven four uh who's a milk? youtuber who uh he's like a hoover criminal uh but he's like a white guy and uh, and from him, I found this other guy, uh, Pino, and then I found this other guy, okay. uh, 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 fuck, 1090 Jake, I think it is, or something like that. Anyway, th- there's this whole scene of these guys who are the really big YouTubers uh, who all they do, basically, is just like beef with each other and like <laughs> constantly talk about how like if i'm ever in your town i'm going to murder you i'm and, going like, to kill you they do response videos to each other where they like they try to like prove that the other one isn't really that gangster but what's really funny <laughs> is that all of them are white it's the, oh, this weird no. cottage industry of <laughs> of white gang dudes who like nobody questions their credibility everybody 100 percent is like this dude's really in the gang he says he's in like 1090 jake really is a blood you know like okay milk 74 really is a hoover like these guys are real gang members <laughs> but the- there's like I, I i'm just like so fascinated by like i mean there's there's the obvious part of it right which is that like white people just tend to do better on youtube for for racism sure. reasons but I'm I'm trying to figure out like what the specific appeal is, right? Like where where does it come from? Like I think in some sense it's like it's it's like a fantasy of of white viewers where you're like you're like what if I was the only white guy who's tough <laughs> enough to hang with black criminals? <laughs> what if I was that hard? What if I was that hard? Yeah. Uh See, anyway, have- for the most part these guys suck. The only cool one is is 1090 Jake. Because he does um, what I could only describe as true crime podcasting for the fellas. 
Okay. He does these like, like does 15 solve, minute he videos. About, like murders and stuff. He's yeah, seen? yeah. So he does these breakdowns of like, uh, it'll be like a murder case of like some random SoundCloud rapper in the middle of nowhere who gets murdered. And he'll do these like really well researched, like 10 minute little pieces where he's like, here's what happened. Here's what the police say. Here's, you know, what his friends say. Here's what his family says. And then the last five minutes is his commentary on it. And his commentary Mm -hmm. is like bananas because it's coming from the perspective of a blood who went to jail for like assault and like uh, can't own a gun anymore because he's a convicted felon. And (laughs) so it's all just like it'll be this really straight faced thing about like, you know, like uh, 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 this rapper was like recording a song and then he was driving home and another car pulled up on him and like fired like 20 shots into it with an automatic rifle and then disappeared and the police can't find the guy but this rapper is in critical condition and whatever and like that's what happened right and then the last bit is him just being like so here's the thing like first and foremost his biggest mistake he posted where he was on Instagram you never post (laughs) where you are when you're there you only post it later because I gotta tell you man you post it and then you're there for a couple hours and then somebody's gonna follow you home and fucking get you (laughs) it's like that's like every video is like this how to not get killed exactly it's fascinating stuff (laughs) very fun to watch (laughs) (laughs) that's really wild really insane stuff why are they all white that's what i want to know i'm so curious (laughs) maybe the black gang members are smart enough to not post their shit on youtube (laughs) maybe have you heard the tiktok meme that's been going around of the of of the coach who's like talking to the basketball team and he's like trying to like you know hype him up or whatever and mm-hmm. it's just a tiktok video of like literally a locker room and the coach is like you are all african americans <laughs> except mark <laughs> and, then <it's> like, <laughs> and then it like pans over and mark is just like opening his mouth real wide trying not to smile <laughs> and he's like but we're rocking with him because he's rocking with us <laughs> <laughs> the car the coach like clearly just like was trying to be like you know we're trying to prove something or like you need yeah, crowd yeah, yeah. or whatever and like forgot that mark was there <laughs> Hilarious. it's really good <laughs> uh anyway anyway the other thing that i watched i'm sure that you watched as well was winning time winning time which we simply must discuss once again (laughs) talking time it's talking time uh (laughs) this week's episode of winning time fantastic as usual very good they stay winning and uh what i found out this week or what i what i wanted to bring to you this week in in regards to winning time is last week we we talked about the uh we talked about the celtics and how the show has taken a firm stance that the Fuck Lakers Boston. are good. The Celtics are evil. That's right. And what I realized this week is that actually the Celtics aren't evil. Anything that isn't Showtime is evil. Anything that isn't Showtime. The antagonist of the show Winning Time is everything that gets in the way of Showtime. You mean like the way of playing? Like yes, the exactly. New- or just like, not just the way of playing, like the whole thing. Just the whole the whole package, the ethos, right? Yeah. Anything that gets in the way of Showtime, death is, is, is the, the antagonist. Bad guy. Yeah, and, aging. And, and so like we we have the old coach who fell off the bike and and it was in a coma and whatever, and now he's he's almost back. He's he's on his way back to to being ship shape again. Suddenly, he's the villain. 
because now Showtime has moved on without him. Now Showtime is happening in his absence. He wants to come yeah. back and change things. He's now a hindrance to Showtime. Therefore, he's now an antagonist. Yeah. Everything just keeps on moving. Everything keeps moving. Whatever whatever makes the show is what makes the show. That's true. And and uh and uh not I want to say Will Farrell. Um Bus's mom dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His daughter uh having some kind of like realization about her father. That's yeah. all in the that's all in the way of showtime. All in the way of showtime. You are all a hindrance. <laughs> 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 yeah and then what's going on oh uh, magic and cookie with wi- wife having a loving relationship friendship with dr j oh yeah dude dr j rules what a dr. cool j guy does roll. that's uh, all in that episode that was a this was a fun episode because it was like i was worried it was over and like my boyfriend went up to go to the bathroom and he paused it and it was like barely half over and I was like yes that's the greatest feeling and it happens <laughs> a lot with that show too right is like I feel like I ever once an episode there's some point where I'm like oh man we got to be wrapping up soon huh and then I'll they check and it's like, halfway and I'm like oh yes there's so much more <laughs> which is such a rare feeling yeah uh-huh. you're usually checking to be like is it time for bed now yeah 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 no, there's like a feeling of like things naturally starting to wrap and you're like, oh, we must be coming to the end. Yeah, but it's just the halfway mark. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I feel like they, om- it, I almost feel like they intentionally structure it that way. Yeah. Where they like, everything feels like it's going to be a cliffhanger and then it just like keeps going and going. Uh, oh man, great show. Great show. Highly recommend watching it. Highly recommend watching Winning Time on HBO. <laughs> anyway, Bryn, what did you watch this week? Thank you for asking. I watched a movie called The Talented Mr. Ripley. Hell yes. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, not I, the first time this has been discussed on, on the podcast. I, I watched it once. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I have no recollection of your thoughts on it. Uh, this must have been a long time ago, yeah? I think it must have been, yeah. Yeah, this is 1999, the greatest year for movies mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, <laughs> um, Anthony Minghella. Um, I don't remember what else he's directed. He's a British director. Uh, oh, he did The English Patient and The Rita uh, with Kate Winslet. Um, this was the movie he did right after uh, The English Patient and won a bunch of BAFTAs and Academy Awards and stuff. Um and then right before he did Cold Mountain, which mm-hmm. had Jack White in it. That's right. Um, and I remember very little of it. Yeah, I was going to say, it, not a lot else going for it. <laughs> very long. I very, remember that. Very, long movie. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, very long movie. Um, I, I, I stopped it to go on a break to like, um, right when he's like in the opera and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is like, wait, what are you doing here? Or whatever. He's like, we got to go. And I was like, wow, he's about to get caught or something. Mm-hmm. An hour left in this movie. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah, a lot uh, of shit happens. A lot of shit happens in this movie. So very quickly, uh, this is a movie. Well, I guess Jeremy's already told you about it, but it was such a long time ago. I don't even remember. I didn't know what was going to happen in this movie. <laughs> Uh, my friend uh, watched it no- knowing nothing, and he had confused it with Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> oh, interesting. I had it mixed up with the Cider House rules. <laughs> <laughs> Why that one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Did they come had- out around the same time, maybe? I have no idea. That's the abortion one. 
I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Cider House Rules has Michael Caine in it. It's about abortion. It's the same year. It's 1999. There you go. The greatest lots, year for movies. <laughs> lots of movies came out that year. <laughs> um, but, uh, I wonder what the yeah. Academy Awards were like that year. <laughs> Probably Shakespeare in Love is my guess. Um, a movie that no one remembers or cares about. Um, but Talented Mr. Ripley came out. It is a movie about a man who is a piano player in New York City. And he, we know nothing about him. He's Matt Damon. He's just playing piano for this opera singer at some like hoity-toity, like uh, Upper West Side thing. It's the 50s. And uh, he meets this guy who's just complaining about his son being in Italy and liking jazz. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I knew your son. We went to Princeton together. Um, we quickly find out that that's not true. He doesn't know his son. He never went to Princeton. Uh, but he starts immersing himself in jazz. And his father is like, hey, if you bring back my son, I'll give you $1,000 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to Italy pretending that he knows him. He's like, hey, remember me? And Dickie's like, no, I don't know you. I just, he's I, like, I love how that works. Like, he's just, <laughs> he goes like, hey, you remember me? He's like, no. He's like, well, trust me. You knew me. And he's like, we had a lot of fun times. And yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow is like, it's just like you to not remember your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow is his girlfriend. He weasels their way into their relationship. He's got a crush on Jude Law, who's Dickie, uh, this guy's son. Uh, He finds out that he impregnated a local in Italy. And that girl is so torn up about it. She drowns herself. Now he's got this weird dirt on him. And he starts manipulating their life. And then Dickie kind of is like, fuck you, I don't like you anymore. And they takes him on the boat and uh, he kills him because he like likes him, but he doesn't want him to get away. It's very awkward and strange how this yeah. whole movie works. Um, and then he he had been telling Kate Blanchett, who he met at the train station, that he was Dickie Greenleaf. Um, so now he sort of like assumes his life and persona and kind of uses that ability that he's got to like pretend to be people. And he also uh, can like do voices perfectly, but it like doesn't really come up very often. That was one of my least favorite things about the movie that he, they like do this weird thing where he like the other actor is talking and he's like lipping, you know, lip syncing the voice of his dad. Yeah. And then he never uses that power. Like he never calls up someone and is like Jude Law's voice or something. You yeah, know? exactly that never happens it's like why did you put that in the movie um but he's also perfect at um handwriting it it must be a book that's like the only it thing that makes sense <laughs> it is a book it's four books actually jesus christ um, yeah and so he uh he basically gets himself embroiled it's a movie about a man who's very embroiled because of his uh penchant for just murdering people mm-hmm. um and pretending and he keeps to be doing other it people. he does it like a bunch of times he does it two more times um he kills philip seymour hoffman who's great in this as a really slimy shitty guy yes yeah uh, <laughs> i forgot all about him uh who's friends with jude law he's just this um, like really weird like queenie freak who just like <laughs> shows up every so often and hates tom ripley but mm-hmm. likes uh you know and is on to him and uh yeah and then he kills him because he's on to him and then he disposes his body and then he has to like do more and more lies and then the cops are on to him and he basically gets out of it 
um, he lies enough to everybody that the only person who knows that he did it is Gwyneth Paltrow, but they basically just think she's a hysterical woman uh, and doesn't understand what's really happening because he the the Jude Law lied to her a bunch, and so they're like, "You don't understand. He didn't. He didn't really love you. It's all fine. Whatever." Uh, and then he get, basically gets away with all of it, and then spends his the rest of his time in Italy with. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's gay friend David and they it's implied they're basically sleeping together uh, and having like a lover's sort of vacation yeah um, it's 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 weird because it's implied very heavily that Ripley Matt Damon's character is gay mm-hmm. but it's 1999 I think and so they don't ever really show him like kissing anybody or yeah having sex you know it's sort of just like they like each other and it's like it's the 50s so they're not like out or whatever so um yeah so and then at a certain point Kate Blanchett shows back up and still thinks he's dicky and he's like gets real scared that he's gonna get caught because David knows Kate Blanchett and like they're on the same boat now and then in their quarters he like kills his boyfriend David while he's crying and sobbing so what i got from this movie is that like there's this weird undertow of this sort of kind of painful metaphor for like being somebody you wish you weren't Mm -hmm. and like wishing you could be this other person who is straight and hot and is attracted to women and has a lot of money and has a family and he's a gay nerd who is just like talented at like being a shapeshifter. He has no real place in the world. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of just like hiding all of these demons and like trying to like steal some something he can't have, which causes all of this wreckage in his life. Yeah. Um, And then even when he finally has it, this one lady all of like all of the people he hates are women <laughs> uh he's like trying to use them to get to the men that he likes and then ends up having to kill the men in his life um yeah i feel like i remember thinking of it a bit as like a metaphor for like being in the closet and like having to absolutely. like having to like hide who you are and then like when things get too hot like when things get too close to you you're just like well i guess Guess I'm just blowing this one up. <laughs> yeah, you just destroy everything you built. Yeah. Um, and in that way, it's really sad. It's funny because at the time, I wasn't like super aware of it. I remember a lot of people not knowing what to make of it. Um, But I do remember some discourse around it being like, is this a positive thing for gay people? Like, is it a, you know, is this like a weird, like, I think the some people took it as like the trope of like, this sort of queer coded villain yeah yeah like the weird sort of um unhinged gay guy who like buffalo bill style you know what i mean yes Uh um just like a weird creepy thing but i think it's a much more i mean it is about a gay murderer um but i think it's a much more sad movie um that ends up being about like you, like you said, I think I took the same thing away from it. It's just about being in a society that 
tells you that everything you like is stupid and bad and you're evil for doing it and then feeling like you have to hide it and then just like hurting everyone around you trying to be someone you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's real sad. It's a weird movie because you just feel bad for this murderer. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, don't think that it's it's a bad movie for gay people. Like, uh, yeah, it's hard to say in like the cultural context of 1999, but like as a sure, movie that's true, now. Because yeah. I was going to say like the one that I always think of as distinctly a like bad movie for gay people is um, uh, the kids are all right. Oh, the that one with Mark Ruffalo one. and uh, yeah, I never uh, saw that. What's your name? Uh, yeah, it's it's an okay movie. It's I liked it. The acting is very good. Um, but it's the story of it is it's a lesbian couple with two kids, and the eldest kid is now old enough to like legally be allowed to like find out the sperm donor that their that her parents used, and so she goes and finds him, and it's Mark Ruffalo, and like. Ruffalo starts like hanging around the family and like eventually like one of the moms like fucks him. What? And like what? it's it's super <laughs> weird. It's like I I remember watching it and being like this is just like because it was around the same time that like all of the like the first wave of marriage equality campaigns were really happening like okay totally different time you know <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. i remember like watching it and being like or, or and i was like working in that space at the time and i remember watching it and being like i'm gonna have to talk to people about this god damn it <laughs> <laughs> jesus that sounds pretty bad um but it's very well acted as i recall uh yeah, ruffalo is very good in it i remember people at the time liking that movie mm-hmm. um it won a golden globe i think uh it was nominated for best picture yeah people uh, liked it yeah but i mean so is green book <laughs> yeah exactly and that's very racist this was 2010 yeah by so. the way the 1999 best picture was american beauty oh interesting i like that movie i think it's okay i think that movie is pretty good and then got an insane amount of praise and then had an insane backlash where people are like, this is a pro pedophile movie or like, I, that's not my problem with it. Right. <laughs> my the, problem with it is that I just think it's a mess. I think there's just like, it's a lot of like threads that don't really connect. Yes. I think it's a weird sort of, you know what it feels like? It feels like a movie that was based on a comic book. Yes. Like something that would like a like a graphic novel that would be much more powerful as like these sort of small vignettes mm-hmm. um but feels too hollywood and sort of cloying and you're never sure if it's if it's like making fun of itself or really thinks the bag is that beautiful yes you know what i mean like you're never sure if it's like wait do you think i'm supposed to be feeling what this child is feeling or or are you making fun of him and I, I don't know. It's I gotta watch it. Again. I never thought that they were making fun of him. I a hundred percent when I watched this, I was like, "You want me to think this bag is cool, and I don't." <laughs> <laughs> I want to make one thing clear: it's not. It's, it's not a stupid. cool bag. I've seen way cooler. <laughs> yeah, and I, like in because I don't know if I've seen it since like I was t- under like 22. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it like reads differently as an adult. We should throw that one on the list. Definitely. Because it's such an interesting experiment because when you're 22, you are that kid, especially if you're really into film and you're like, 
maybe it is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe it's possible what they're trying to do is get you to be like in the position of Thora Birch of like, this guy is talking nonsense, but he's really sensitive and I want to fuck him. And it's like, that's a different sort of very delicate balance. And I'd wonder what it reads like now. Right. So yeah, I'll watch that again. Anyway, yeah, that's keep not an the eye out for that one coming up. <laughs> yeah. Talented Mr. Months. Ribley is weird. And I feel like I, uh, would recommend it. It's interesting. Yeah, I definitely uh, recommend it. I liked it. It's cool. Uh, it's weird. Uh, it's long, little boring in parts, but Matt Damon is incredible in it. He's very good so. in it. Jude Law is very good in it. His yeah. that scene where he's um, Kate Blanchett blowing it out of the water. Yeah, uh, the scene where uh, Jude Law is playing in the band is like yeah, wildly good. I love him in that. It it, really- so much charisma. Yeah, fantastic. There's a there's a there's a old photograph of like young beatniks, young white beatniks, like watching um, maybe Miles Davis play, mm-hmm. and they're just like pounding on the stage and like looks like they're crying and orgasming. Um, and that scene made me feel like that's the that's where they were. Like he was that passionate about yeah. it. And it's like, wow, jazz is cool. Jazz rules. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, speaking of. Great music. Uh, (laughs) Today, we're talking about the 2021 uh, film version of a one-man play by Jonathan Larson. The creator of Rent. The the writer and I guess he did. Did he direct it too? He did everything, yeah. Yeah. uh, The writer and composer of Rent. The guy who did Rent. This movie is directed by none other than uh, Jonathan Larson, protege <laughs> and wa- wannabe, I should say, uh, yeah. Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, this movie's called Tick Tick Boom. Stars uh, Andrew Garfield and yeah, Spider Man himself. And uh, I don't think I know anybody else in this. It's all sort of like I think it's uh, musical theater people. It's musical theater people. BB uh, Newworth is in this for a hot second. Um, there's like that one musical number where they're at the diner and then like a bunch of like musical theater like legends are there just like as the patrons of the diner. Yeah. Um, but and in terms of like actual people in this, I have no idea who any of these people are. Yeah, it's just um, Andrew Garfield. And some of them are great. Some of them are fine. Um, No shade to them. They're just not. Yeah, I think everybody. They're not names you know. I'll say right off the bat, I think all the actors put in a pretty good shift in this. I've got no complaints about the acting, really. You know what? I'm gonna fully agree with you. Andrew Garfield did surprise me. Yeah. Like, uh, as being charming, and you kind of get what this guy was about. Um. Yeah, I find the character despicable. That's right. I, but I, I, like I, Andrew big... Garfield <laughs> is not the problem. <laughs> that's true. The big problem of this movie is the story, and the way the story is treated mm-hmm. and, uh, and the way get... it's framed and the music and <laughs> the directing and yep. basically everything else except for the singing <laughs> and the acting the mixing um, uh, well it's uh, to be fair it is not as bad as the film version of rent uh i'll agree with you there i i i was i'll agree with you i was entertained and it it, it feels comprehensible and you know what the story is more often that's true than rent the movie mm-hmm. um though in fairness 
Rents has a lot more to juggle than this does. Of course. This is a very small It's very, a very, very small, small story with not a lot going on. <laughs> it's basically just rent, but if it was just about the the camera Mark. guy, yeah. Mark. <laughs> Uh, which is basically what rent is is just what happened to jonathan larson which i keep having to look down at your name to remember the name of this guy (laughs) it's very funny he he like uh one of the things that i remember talking about around rent is how the story centers so much around mark and everybody else is a side player but mark is the least interesting person and you don't really give a shit what's happening with him at all and everybody mm-hmm. else is more interesting, but it's all centered around him and how he reacts to things and what these things mean to him. And this movie really shows you like where that mindset came from, because that's yeah. literally what this is. is it's, it's Jonathan Larson trying to make a show and really interesting and terrible and, and real things are happening around him. And he's just like, Ugh, my best friend has AIDS. Why is this happening to me? <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend is leaving me because I don't pay attention to her. I can't believe this is happening to me. I should write a song about it. Um, okay, so the story about... I, we can probably wrap the story up within a couple seconds. Yeah. Um, I, we may have already basically just said the story, but Jonathan Larson is a 29-year-old uh, white cis straight man who lives in New York in, in 19... 19- 1990 it the original title of this one man show that this movie was based off of was called 3090 and then it was called something else that i don't doesn't matter and now it's called tick tick boom which i still don't understand why it's never because of the clock no he just says there's he just mentions a clock but is there a bomb never explained it's a little Um, of both (laughs) it's bad title um but he is uh working at a diner as a you know just a waiter and a cashier or whatever he's working at a, a diner that's a real diner in new york um, no longer was a real diner was a real diner in new york um now it's in the american to... diner museum is that true yeah in providence rhode island can you eat there i think you can eat at the museum is it good i don't know <laughs> right. uh he he is trying to write a play he believes himself to be as he literally says to a stranger the the future of musical theater um he is unfortunately correct but that doesn't really (laughs) excuse him saying that (laughs) right um he is a flamboyant somewhat charming but mostly very annoying uh full of himself dickhead who uh spends all his all of his time not working trying to get this play together it's called superbia um and it's a sort of like stupider version of 1984 yeah um it's like a futuristic dystopian sort of thing where like everybody's always on their phones and whatever and and (laughs) yeah you can't have emotions it doesn't matter you're not allowed and who cares and so he uh has an agent and he's like really he's grinding it out he's doing the fucking move to new york and be an artist thing he lives in a shitty apartment he has best friends with a gay guy who he grew up with named something um something he calls him so right in the beginning is it mark uh it might be mark uh but he uh uh michael michael his name's michael and um right at the beginning the first time we meet michael he says oh you're such an angel 
And this is the first of what will be many really, really ham-fisted, really disgusting references to Rent that are just peppered throughout this as a way of being like, by the way, Jonathan Larson took things from his real life and to put I, them into the show i did not even re- recognize that i mean yeah because you're not i mean you didn't i I, I know exactly the music once. of it so yeah. well and i know the story of it so well that like every time one of these came up it was just like driving a knife deeper into me <laughs> god um it's like i talked about this last week in the in the poirot movie at the end when they're like there's been a death on the nile <laughs> yeah it really felt like that all the time. <laughs> really? There, there's many of them? There's so many. He starts playing the riff from one of the songs at some point. Ugh. A couple people he like, he, he has like little winky little things. I can't remember them It's like a Marvel like, movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Marvel movie for a shitty play that barely anybody likes. Yeah, I saw a Letterboxd review that was um, like, uh, so glad theater kids got their Black Panther. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so we'll keep going. He's dating this girl uh, who's a dancer who uh, leaves him basically immediately. Like the opening of their relationship is like, she's like, I'm moving. And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to fuck you because I'm straight. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> she's um, got like some job offer or something that's going to take her upstate. Her entire arc of this movie is trying to get his attention to be like, do you care about that at all? Do, can I... Do you want to do you want to give me permission to do it? Basically, just begging him to be like, "Hey, it would be really cool if you stayed with me." And he never does it because he's never given a shit about her once in his entire life. <laughs> he just likes to have sex with her, and then she leaves. That's her arc. That's her um, whole arc. And his best friend Michael. Uh, at the beginning of the show, we learn uh, he used to be the greatest actor, but he's given it up to take a job in advertising. Right. And uh, his arc is he, nothing happens to him for most of the runtime. He has a good he job. He has a really a good, good job in a nice apartment. He's moving out of of Jonathan Larson's apartment, and uh, now he's got his own place that very visibly is just an office that they rented <laughs> and put home furniture into. Yeah, um, and he tries to help Jonathan or get a, a a job once and Jonathan fucks it up because of his principles yeah and then he uh dies of AIDS uh <laughs> does he die or he just yeah gets... he dies Michael dies oh he got he's HIV positive at the end and then he fucking dies I don't remember him dying I just I mean remember... he doesn't like get a moment it's just like implied that he's oh, like, okay, gone yeah well, that um, for sure, yes, it is implied, but I didn't think we saw him die. We, I don't think we see him die, but there's like, in, there's like a cutaway during one of the songs where they're like in the hospital, and then it's like he's gone or something or whatever. Right. Um, but uh, it's it's for like ten seconds. It doesn't matter because he's just a tool for yes. Jonathan to use. Um, because the whole thing of Jonathan, what we're supposed to care about. Is that rent Listen, happens? Listener, is that he figures out how to make rent, um, <laughs> which is he basically not rent the concept because don't get me wrong, this man <laughs> never makes money. <laughs> he That's true. is so repelled by the idea of ever making a dollar. <laughs> yeah, uh, he uh, has this sort of like limp wristed 
sort of winking towards the left, I guess, of like corporatism is bad, uh, yeah. but no principles or anything. He's clearly a cutthroat artist who is, will do anything to get his stage play yeah, happening. Yeah, this is what I kept thinking about uh, during the first chunk of this movie is like how much he rips on his friend for taking this advertising job and how much he rips on like the finance guy he meets at the party and whatever who like used to be a singer and now he has a job and whatever. And he's like this idea of like selling out your art to get a job is is like the worst thing you can do, right? Yeah. But like, <laughs> but I, I guess I'm just else like he does in the movie. <laughs> but I guess like I'm just intrigued by this attitude where like he only sees validity in his art if somebody pays him for it. Yeah, because exactly. at the beginning of this, he's he's telling us he's spent the last eight years working on this musical. He's grinding it out trying to make this musical work. To me, it sounds like you spent eight years doing the thing you love. Yeah, but he's never happy. But he's never happy unless somebody pays him. He so wants- to him, it's like the idea of making art isn't what's cool. The thing is making money that's cool. and But making money is only cool if you get to do the thing you like for it. Well, like uh, these kinds of people would be like, well, it's not about the money. It's about the respect. But that's what I mean. It's, is about- it's like... It, it's like... Y- I, I, I just... <laughs> I, I don't get the idea of... of spending eight years of your life making a musical and then somebody tells you that you're not going to get money for it and you're like, well, damn, I guess I wasted eight years. Yeah, but which is his reaction when he he does this big, like finally gets to like do a, um, what do you call it? Like a workshop? That's he does like a workshop, yeah. Uh, I don't really know much about how musical theater works, but he, he performs it in front of Mr. Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim. Every time he enters a room is like Leopold from Bugs Bunny and everyone's like <laughs> whispering his name. Um, who I'm sure he's very famous and respected, but he uh it's ridiculous in this movie. Um and and Stephen Sondheim like leaves him a, a voicemail message. He's like, Man, it's so great. You're you're so talented, man. You're the best guy. Yeah. Um this I can't is wait the thing. to see what you do next. And- it's like it's at least like when Sondheim is in the room, I can understand why people are like whispering and talking, whatever, because he's a big name and everybody is in the industry, and so he shows up. You're like, oh shit, that's the big guy, yeah, Sondheim. You know. Whereas like the ways in which this movie keeps going out of its way to be like Jonathan Larson, you're a genius, and yeah. the people <laughs> who said you weren't, they were wrong about yeah, you. Yeah, because we know. You made rent. Because we know you made rent, of course. Which uh, is apparently great. The first time we meet Stephen Sondheim, we're treated to this really, really uh, indulgent scene <laughs> where like he's in a he's in a workshop or whatever, and his regular teacher is like, Your songs, they're bad. And then Sondheim's like, Well, actually I think they're quite good. And he's like, Yeah, I actually th- I think they're good too. Yeah, it's so ham fisted. <laughs> so so this is really we're getting to the meat this is what this is that's all that happens. He loses his thing or he doesn't he doesn't immediately get a producer to give him money for superb. So we're watching his second play, which is a one man show of him telling the story of him trying to get superbia on stage and failing. And then I guess they have to like shoehorn in the rest of his life to this play because obviously it hadn't happened yet, but he does eventually get rent done, but that's sort of off screen. So the movie has this weird like non ending where it's like, 
I'm sure in the original one man play, he was like, and I'm going to keep on trying or like, and I'm doing it now. And I'm, I care about pe- I don't know what his message would have been as someone who hadn't made rent. Right. Like, and so, but doing this particular play made by people who are fucking like fangirls for this guy because he made rent make takes away everything about this play mm-hmm. because he does succeed and we know that so i don't know what the point of it originally was and i don't know what the point of this actually is um but the the that's the big problem is that we're watching the story of a guy who sucks like this made me hate rent a hundred times more than i already hated it yeah because this guy seems like an insufferable douchebag who just keeps hurting everybody around him constantly on purpose and not learning his anything own, about for it for the purpose of his art which yes rent is a very important show yes rent changed musical theater yes all these things are true which but also like, at the end of the day it's still a musical it's still just a little play and <laughs> like the ways in which and 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 he's not making it at the time of this he's making superbia which doesn't do literally anything so like all these people that he's just like devastating and and doing such emotional harm to like he's got the friend at the diner who gets aids and he's in the hospital and he has a whole little song about like i wish i could go see him but i have to keep working on my show <laughs> it's like why no one's making you do that no you one's making have you a, do this you don't even have a deadline really yeah uh, wait, that's is that before or after he writes the last song? This is when he's. I think it's when he's working on the last song. Oh, okay. And he's like, well, I he can't does. leave to work to to go see this person who's dying, who I say <laughs> that I care about. Right, who's my best friend? Supposedly, I've got to write my song, and it's this is the thing, right? Is that's when he plays the little riff from uh, in Rent. The song is One Song Glory, which is the song that uh, Roger sings about trying to leave one thing behind before he dies <laughs> you oh, know right, like yeah. roger has aids and is going to die of it and he's like i just i i've wasted my entire life i've done nothing at all i just want to write a song before i'm gone and and that's a really heavy emotional thing to consider and the inspiration for it appears to be jonathan larson saying i'm up against <laughs> a really tight deadline for my workshop for my show about the future <laughs> And it's just this guy who's put like all of this fucking pressure on himself for what? Like, because he, like, he doesn't know he's going to die at 35 from an aortic dissection because he has the fucking, you know, morphin syndrome or whatever. Because he got the, because he got the coronavirus vaccine. (laughs) Yeah, because he got the snake venom injected into him (laughs) directly into his heart. Um, (laughs) No, he doesn't know. He's just like a, normal guy yeah um who's not having sex with men in new york in the 90s um i mean his there's it's interesting because like i i don't if all of your if like two or three of your friends fucking die of aids like i'm not saying you can't write about it and like i'm not saying that's not something that you went through and like survived even if you weren't gay like you didn't know like it's a weird thing to have gone through and i i do know some older people who were around new york city and san francisco at the time and you know they're it it was a very tough thing to go through and i'm not trying to take that away from jonathan larson but he's this movie 
treats him as though he is a genius and a saint, but then also doesn't seem to realize that they're also portraying him as a selfish douchebag. Yeah. Or maybe they do. I don't know. But it's like, it, it it's interesting that he's like, his his cultural position is that of like the person who shed light on AIDS for a whole generation, right? Of 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 straight people, right? Like a lot of yeah. people's a lot of people's first introduction to AIDS outside of like, you know, sleazy television news shit. Mm-hmm. Like people's first people's first experience with empathizing with a person with AIDS. Yes a lot of people's first experience of that probably was rent like, like this or uh like rent or um philadelphia or, uh, or something philadelphia yeah uh but like it's interesting to to have him have that cultural place and then to have your movie be very specifically like he didn't go see his friends with aids they they all died alone <laughs> yeah <laughs> And they Jonathan was bit- too busy working on this importance play. <laughs> and you know, the interesting thing about this movie is that the very best two scenes, in my opinion, mm-hmm. are the scenes with Michael. Like, Michael is great and, like, is correct 100% of the time. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's just like, look, man, like, I don't want to live in poverty and I- you're not doing anything good. Like, all you're doing is writing your little fucking songs. Yeah, like, and ultimately, n- like, what's the difference here? Like, yeah, what do you think Rent is for? You know, like, it's it's cool and it's good and, and whatever, like, what you've done culturally. But, like, even in the best case scenario for a show, like, what do you do but sell tickets? What do you do but sell concessions? What do you do but sell merchandise? Or, at a push, yeah. sell airline tickets to new york like what is the purpose of a play but to make money it's so like, like to make little pyramids to yourself yes so like jerk yourself off and be like i did something important and i matter exactly it's, it's bigger can... than a commercial and that's what that's what michael does you know like yeah and he Michael, right? Care. Did I remember his name? I don't know. Yeah, but he, he, that's what you said. Uh, I don't know. Isn't I didn't catch his name. But he, he, that character is like right multiple times. And then like the second really good scene is when they're like talking, and he's like, "You don't know anything about running out of time." And he's like, "I'm fucking have eight. <laughs> 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 and he's like oh shit yeah i forgot oh, you're gay <laughs> he's like i know him for two days and then his first reaction is like why didn't you tell me sooner he's like i said i had i found out days ago right before your stupid play that i came to after you were an asshole to me and it's like i i don't know what like this show maybe makes more sense if you're in a if you're in a black box theater mm-hmm and the guy is like, I did this. I'm a fucking asshole. This is like my penance to you people. Yeah. Like, I want you to know that like nothing is more important than your friends. And like, I'm coming here with some sort of like perspective on that that I've learned. Not <laughs> a movie where he's the like hero of the movie and everything he does is worth it because he succeeds. Yeah, the big wrap up at the end is, and then you know he he premiered this show and it did okay, and then he made Rent, but he died, and that's the end of the story. See you next time, <laughs> folks. <laughs> 
yeah, I don't. I and and this is here's the thing. This movie and Lin Manuel Miranda. Lin Manuel Miranda doesn't do the music. He doesn't. He he doesn't. He didn't write the screenplay. Yeah. So we really can't bash on him too hard. Oh, I can. I, I mean, absolutely his can. Directing is, is, his directing is dog shit. There's dog a lot shit. of very repetitive shit going on here. I feel like you see the same shot over and over and over again. He doesn't know how to light anybody. Oh, my God. But before I get into the sort of broader point about the, <laughs> about the metaphor or the actual like story, uh, this movie, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, you know what? At least it's going to be a good New York movie. Wrong. Everything is on fucking sets. Yeah, it's exactly like the Rent movie where everything feels like a pottery barn. Everything feels like it's like... There's like three good shots of like the subway and like some... But like everything is made up to be like heightened. Like there's like a couple... There's like normal scenes where they're in an apartment that at least looks like a nice 90s New York apartment. Mm -hmm. But like then when Nothing looks like the 90s. That's yes. It 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 like doesn't look enough like the '90s for you to be like this is the '90s. Every so um, often you'll see like a big computer, <laughs> like that's supposed <laughs> to be your tip off to be like, ooh, the '90s. Um, they also like will do like big wide shots of like Times Square, and that looks different because it's but it's CGI. They clearly didn't get like enough money to redo Times Square because that would be ridiculous. Right. But it like doesn't look good. Everything looks like it's CGI or green screened. It looks awful. It doesn't look like a cool 70s New York. Like, go fucking shoot on at, in the places that look still like the 90s. Like, go yeah. down to fucking Bleecker Street or something. Anytime. The the one that really kept bugging me is, and, and this, uh, <laughs> this is a complaint that perhaps could be... Uh, 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 th- perhaps a, 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 a broader point could be drawn from that I, I am not uh, in any sort of place to make, but... Uh, every time there's a black person in this movie, uh, there is no definition in their face at all because Lin-Manuel Miranda does not know how to light them at all. Right. <laughs> they just are like completely washed out, like just one panel of color with, with just some eyes poking out. It does not... like. I, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not a film director. He's never been one. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know why he thinks he can and who's letting him because... Obviously, there's a lot of people behind him to make it not look like completely amateur, but it like doesn't look good. It looks like a fucking Hallmark movie half the time. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we, we can bash on Lin-Manuel Miranda for being a bad director, not knowing <laughs> what he's doing, just thinking he can like throw shit at the wall and like direct it like it's a play. Um, but we can't blame him for the screenplay. But no. the thing about this screenplay is that it's written by the guy who who made up fucking Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> which means is that true. <laughs> yes. Which means it's a movie about this one man play that Jonathan Larson did that according to Wikipedia is already sort of loosely based on his life like even yeah. the, even this movie he like kind of lied like he like like him and Sondheim were like friends and like he was a mentor to him like way before this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't like waiting on his phone call or whatever. Uh, there's a whole list on Wikipedia of like all the shit that's like not true and how it's Ooh. not as like that heightened. Is Michael what? real? 
Did they make up Michael? Oh, I highly doubt it. Matt O'Grady, the inspiration for Michael, was never actually Larson's roommate and was never involved in the performing arts, even as they were growing up. <laughs> um, musical theater workshops are based on superbia. Uh, I that There's no way he was dating a black girl, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> sort of r- race-blind casting, giving uh, Jonathan Larson a black girlfriend is very funny. Um, Janet Charleston, the inspiration for Susan, did not fully break up with Larson. Rather, the characters' actions and motivations over the course of the original monologue's development were based on changes in the pair's on-again, off-again relationship. In fact, the two were still together at the time of Larson's death. Ooh. That's weird. Um, Yeah, so a lot of weird stuff. It's like he make either make himself look worse. I bet he changed stuff to like it's hard to judge him as a person through this because it's through so many like weird lenses because he is making himself look worse because it's a one man play. And he's trying to probably be like, Hey, I did a lot of bad things in pursuit of making something good. And that's not the point of this stuff. And I would bet that a lot of it is also like, uh, exaggerated in ways just to make like the story move a little better, you know, like the Sondheim thing makes sense. I, I would do that too, like to to give him sort of a little because he's an important figure in the community. Like, give him a little more weight. Don't just have him be around. Like, yeah, well, have him the, show up at significant ta- times to for dramatic purpose. Yeah, because the truth of it is, is that he had like sent him a letter in college and Sondheim responded and then by the time he was like doing this Sondheim was like coming to his things to see what he was about and then like kind of he respected him that's like a much less dramatic thing of like impressing him you know with your song you know like I totally get that and I don't I don't you know I'm not trying to hit Larson for making dramatic changes but he was probably also trying to get at a point but then the dear Evan Hansen motherfucker who doesn't understand anything <laughs> who wrote a story which we'll get to uh about a i think fucking, next week right yeah about a fucking freak who is a sociopath who's supposed to be the hero of the story for some reason is like yeah this is all good and normal and cool because he got he made rent and he gets what he wants so that's that i think i i blame him for how bad this movie is yeah the music we haven't even t- touched on the music isn't I didn't think it was that bad. No. Uh, it's uh, it's musical theater stuff, but like I think some of the best stuff from Rent is more on display here. Interesting. I was going to say that it's it's a little less it's a little less dynamic than Rent. It's a little bit less like there there, there are fewer influences, I guess I would say. Um Rent can kind of like jump all over the map in terms of like taking stuff from rock, taking stuff from musical theater, taking stuff from like, there's a lot of stuff uh, happening there. Whereas this kind of always feels like musical theater. It very rarely feels like rock. Yes, absolutely. Um, Um, I just, in terms of like arrangement, I was sort of enjoying it more. mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, I would, (laughs) I was like listening to this movie and then I would get, I will I stuck in my head. Yeah, and I'm like, it's not a great sign for your musical if I get your better musical song like stuck <laughs> in my head. Uh, so you know, it's not the worst thing. It didn't. I will say that the lyrics 
made me want to kill myself. Yes. Like some of these lyrics are so fucking infuriating because it's all just about like how intense it is to have writer's block, which is like, shut the fuck up. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? I, I can't imagine a less interesting topic. It's like, it's like the fucking musical equivalent of, you know, writing a paper about writing a paper and then turning that into your professor. Yeah. You know? It's, it sucks. It's I hate that. <laughs> yeah, the only person who's ever done that is done that well is Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, a- adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is so rough. I was gonna say and, there are there are a couple of good. Th- I mean, there's good movies about making movies, but that's different. I feel no, yeah. But this was this this is specifically like the uh, I have nothing to say and I'm an idiot. I don't know what to do, so right. I'm going to like the only like stupid thing I can think of to be clever is to like write about how I'm an idiot, uh, which is like the dumb guy thing to do, (laughs) which no one thinks is clever and no one is interested in your pain for being an idiot. So, so that's the movie. That's the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't like it and I don't recommend it. I absolutely would not recommend watching (laughs) this movie. Uh, especially if you like rent. Uh, yeah, actually, that's you're right. A little detail to add to this: if you are a Rent fan, don't watch this. It's wild because the only people who would be interested in watching this are Rent fans, mm-hmm. and it is uh, unfortunately makes it worse. Yeah, because it makes you kind of think that Jonathan Larson was a worse person than you'd imagine. Like all of your worst fears about what kind of guy he was. You know, just based on Mark, <laughs> is uh, are highly confirmed in this movie. Um, so yeah, don't watch it. Also, the music is worse than Rent, I'd say. Um, just in terms of like catchiness, uh, uh, the lyrics are worse. Yeah. Additionally, if you're 29 years old, don't watch this because. This guy's gonna like poison your thoughts with all sorts of stupid ideas about what turning thirty means. <laughs> I know it's so fucking lame. <laughs> Just like I, I maybe that's like a nineties thing because I do remember like on TV a lot they're like being a lot about like thirties. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess like I mean, I could see why like people would be weird about it or whatever, but like I highly recommend folks at home if you'd like some fatherly advice for a moment. <laughs> Uh, start calling yourself thirty when you're twenty eight. Okay, interesting. And then idea. It, it really uh, it, it really smooths out that transition in a very nice way. <laughs> I was real excited to turn thirty. Mm-hmm. I uh, was excited for my thirties. I was even more excited to turn thirty five, which is the year I out the age I am now. And uh, I think that's a very cool age to be. Yeah. And uh, I, it's you know my life just keeps getting better, so I don't know why I'd be like oh. I wish I was 25 when I hated myself and drank myself to death every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would, I don't know. Uh, 20s suck. 20s are lame. You're an idiot and you're expected to do a lot of shit. And then you're in your 30s, you are secure in yourself and you have more money. 
Yeah. So I <laughs> that rules. <It's laughs> which is cool and good. And that's why um, Michael is the best character in the movie. That's right. Because he has a good job and he makes money and he has a healthy relationship he with art. A, he has a nice apartment and does art when he wants to. That's the thing, right? Is is this is a movie that's against the idea of having a healthy relationship with art. You have yeah. to tr- like in in the mind of of people like Jonathan Larson like you have to treat art like it's heroin. You have to treat it like if you're not killing yourself and ruining your life with it then you're not really doing it. Yeah, and and the thing about it is it's it's this dumb sort of like legacy building impulse that people have that yeah. they have to like prove themselves or they need the respect. Like life is about chilling. Life yes. is about having the most fun and vibing the most and the hardest with the people you love around well, you. Well, you can. Yeah, because you're going to die. Like Jonathan Larson at 35 of an aortic <laughs> dissection. And <laughs> out of nowhere. And yeah. two different hospitals are going to uh, tell you you're fine and you're just having stress from your play. And then you're going to die the day before it airs. But this is, um, what I, this is what I was getting at before when I was talking about, like, he spent eight years making this play and and to him because he didn't get anything out of it like those years are wasted like a true artist those eight years were spent doing the thing you love and and honing your craft and 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 that's that's way more beautiful than getting your little show on broadway at fucking going to like Times square where like some dildo from fucking minnesota can go to the m&m store <laughs> and then swing by your show for like the second showing on a sunday and then like yeah. go back to a- his hotel and go into a fucking diabetic coma <laughs> and then a bunch of useless idiots who have nothing better to do but write in playbill like about how it was you know okay or whatever like yeah. you, you can read that and get mad like honestly i used to when i first heard about jonathan larson dying that like the day before his play went on for the first time on broadway i used to be really sad about that and like it really bummed me out but like knowing this was his outlook on life like he won yeah absolutely that's the ideal outcome for him he got to live (laughs) in the moment of winning and he will never know whether it was good or bad yeah he was just like i'm gonna be on broadway i'm gonna have a hit play Uh and then it just like that lights out yep (laughs) a beautiful thing (laughs) a beautiful thing for him yeah, I mean, I don't think he could have. I mean, for me, that's terrible. But for him, great. <laughs> right? No, I don't want that to happen to me. I've got all kinds of vibing to be done. I've got, I've got so many more songs to just enjoy writing, and I don't give a shit if you like them or not. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I was also thinking, this guy would be the worst person on Twitter. Yes, like the absolute worst person in the world <laughs> there was i i'm sorry to, to quote another letterboxd review but i was like i was <laughs> scrolling through them because they were all so positive and i was like this can't be <laughs> i like kept like looking for the bad ones and one of them was rest in peace jonathan larson you would have loved the notes app <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend was like looking it up and like had could like had accidentally tricked himself into hoping that it would be good because he was like 85 percent. i don't know on ron tomatoes like people are saying on like you know on our torrenting website that it's like you know pretty good the worst thing that people said was that it was kind of boring and it was like he was like all right maybe it'll be cool and he was so pissed off (laughs) (laughs) 
He was like, if I went to a fucking black box theater and this is what happened, I'd ask for my money back to the guy. <laughs> so God don't damn. watch it. It's don't bad. watch it. Bad don't movie. Listen to, and if you do watch it, this is not what life's about. No, That's don't listen to him. About. He has nothing to offer you. Yeah. Don't, don't, you know. He is the devil. <laughs> stage a musical with your pals because it makes you all happy. Yes, exactly. And you write some cool music because it's cool. And enjoy the process of doing the thing that you're doing. If you're trying to be an artist right now, if you're trying to do anything with your life that you're not doing already, if you're in the process of getting there, Mm -hmm. enjoy what you're doing while you're doing it. Yes. Because you could end up like Jonathan Jonathan Larson and fucking drop dead of an aortic whatever the fuck. Yeah. Nothing is really worth like going through, like the whole like grind set of like sucking up to the people in higher positions and ladder climbing. No no movie or no adulation will ever be worth like the fucking 10 years you spent doing that shit that you hated. Yeah. You'll just be bitter. And then you'll like hate everybody who's trying to do it to you. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with doing that stuff if you're enjoying your life while you're doing it. Is is my yeah, feeling. Yeah, if you right? like if you love schmoozing and having well, I mean, sex you can with do weird the, people and like you can do <laughs> the hard stuff. Scene. You can do the ugly work. You can do the shit that you don't like doing. As long as like the process of making the art still is fulfilling and you love it, then I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world to like go around and like try to network and whatever, but like if 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 you're lopsided too far in that direction, which it appears like the Jonathan Larson character in the film is, oh for sure, then it's just misery and there's no point, and you might as well just be, you might as well just be the ad exec. Yeah, he should. That's he, the thing, right? Is he like, is. <laughs> it, it, one last thing is is the unspoken hero of this film is not Michael, but rather the finance guy at the party. There's a there's a brief moment at oh, yeah. this party where like Jonathan does this whole big attention grabby thing where he sings a song and whatever, uh, but he's got this Which he meets sucks. this finance bro who's like yeah I never get to like go to these artist parties like the drugs are so good at these I'm so glad I could be here and like <laughs> he's like I sang I sang magicals when I was in high school uh, because I got pussy and like and Jonathan Larson is like so repulsed by this man and I kept like. I kept being like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, this guy has a healthy relationship with art. This guy has something that he wanted to obtain from art, and he got it. Like, all you are is jealous. All you are is a fucking (laughs) hater, Jonathan Larson. This guy got what he wanted out of art, and that was what he needed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then he just, like, made some money and is enjoying his life. Now, yeah. That I guy think seemed happy. <laughs> advertising people, though, you should kill yourself. But <laughs> <laughs> quit your job or kill yourself. But Steven Levinson, you're a bitch and a hater. Uh, and Jonathan Larson, he made you seem like that. And I'm sorry if you're not. You know, you're not. You're not alive. So I, I know you don't care. But uh, <laughs> I feel a little bad besmirching his name. So we should really be directing our ire at Stephen Levinson. Yeah, it um, sucks because it's it's a fictional character named after him. Essentially, I mean, right. some of this stuff is probably pretty true. But like, ultimately, I think of him as a fictional character in a film. When right. I'm talking about Jonathan Larson, I'm talking about as depicted by Andrew Garfield. I want to make yeah. that clear. So the only thing we can say that is pretty good about it is Garfield and Michael. The character, the guy who plays Michael, are great. Yeah. Um, the singing is pretty good. The acting is really good. But do not watch this movie. Do not watch this movie. And the only other thing I can say is that's movies. <laughs> that's movies. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to end it there. I'm going to do the fucking Damn thing. It. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Generation Loss. If you'd like to hear more of our show, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and get bonus episodes there. Uh, you, they're usually about the movie news. This, this month we did a lot, this week we did a lot of emails and some movie news. Uh, you will get access to Discord benefits where you can hang out with us there and watch the movie we're going to watch on the Sunday before the episode comes out. And uh, follow us on Twitter at GenLostPod and follow us individually from there. Otherwise, that's movies. That's movies.